Welcome to On the Ground, a new podcast from the American Bar Association Commission on Domestic and Sexual Violence. I'm your host, Anya Lynn-Lesker, Managing Attorney for the Commission, where we work on technical assistance and policy issues around domestic and sexual violence and trafficking. Our first series will bring you questions from real attorneys dealing with these issues on the ground and in the courtroom. Thanks for joining us. DC Affordable Law Firm, this is Samantha. We're very excited to introduce our first guest attorney, Samantha Williams. Samantha is a recent graduate of Georgetown University Law Center and a fellow at the DC Affordable Law Firm in Washington, DC. She also happens to be a former law clerk of the commission and we really loved working with her. We recently sat down with Samantha to talk about some questions that have come up for her as a new attorney practicing domestic violence and family law. Here's a question that Samantha brought up that might be familiar for those of you who also practice in this area of law. One challenge I've had in coming up with a case theory that makes sense to the court is when I've had clients who have, ha- have experienced violence at the hands of the opposing party. So there's been a history of domestic violence and violent acts in the relationship. And also the client is interested in the other party having visitation and there has been visitation with the child in the past. So how to reconcile those points that domestic violence is relevant here, it should come into the judge's mind and the judge's analysis in determining this case, and it has effects on the safety of the parties, but also there has been, or my client wants to have visits. Let's call in some backup. We posed Samantha's question to several experts in the field and asked what advice they would give in this situation. Here's what Stacy Platt, clinical professor of law and the associate director of the Civitas Child Law Clinic at Loyola University Chicago School of Law had to say. It's critically important to break our cases down into the components of what we sometimes call custody. First, into decision-making, and second, into parenting time. And the cases that we present have to be specific within those areas. So it may be that there is violence against uh, our client, the survivor, and not violence against the children. It may be that parenting time is appropriate, but it may also be, for example, uh, true that joint decision-making is not appropriate in a case. And I want to highlight the importance of... um, setting up our arguments in these cases by breaking them down and then focusing on facts. So, for example, facts about how decision-making plays out in this family and therefore why joint decision-making may not be safe or workable for this family. Second, how the perpetrator manages and cares for the children and therefore why parenting time may be appropriate and under what specific circumstances parenting time may be appropriate. And third, how transitions are managed to ensure safety. Uh, how transitions generally occur in this family, and what safety procedures may need to be put in place to ensure safe transitions for the survivor and for the children. If we put on specific cases that highlight facts about how decision-making is carried out, how the perpetrator cares for the children or manages the children, and how transitions are managed, those will help us establish good arguments 
that are specific to each of those areas so that the domestic violence remains relevant and the whole case doesn't get tossed in a sense just because a survivor is agreeing to visits between the children and the perpetrator. Stacey makes a great point about bifurcating the physical and legal custody arguments and how domestic violence can play a different role in each. A lot of attorneys seem to have an experience similar to Samantha's, where the focus of the litigation is on physical custody. Let's hear what some of our other experts have to say about domestic violence and physical custody in particular. Here's Pratima Pandey, Managing Attorney for Bay Area Legal Aid. It's our duty as attorneys to represent our client and our client's interest. Therefore, if your client feels that it is in the best interest of the children to have visitation with the opposing party, despite the presence of domestic violence, you need to make sure that the record reflects the fact that A, you are in domestic violence court and you are asking the court to make a finding of domestic violence, and B, that while domestic violence has occurred in the relationship, that your client considers that it's in the best interest of the children to have a relationship with the other parent and to have visitation with the other parent, and that your client has considered ways in which the visitation can be safe, meaningful, and fruitful for all parties involved. In this manner, I think what you've done is you've shown the court that your client is not minimizing the domestic violence or its impact on her or the life that they've had uh, with the children and the abuser together, but that your client recognizes that this is an opportunity to allow the children to continue their relationship with the other parent in a way that benefits the children and is safe as well. Your client has to make a decision about where the domestic violence plays a role in terms of the custody and visitation portion of his or her case. It's true that survivors allow for the visitation to continue despite domestic violence. And oftentimes, if you as the attorney of record sit down and talk to your client, you can come up with factors that will explain to you and therefore to the court as to why your client was allowing visitation. Often it's because the children insisted or because the other party was showering the children with gifts and being, you know, as they say, the Disney parent. Um, and the children therefore wouldn't hear of not going and visiting with the other parent. Maybe the children have expressed an interest in having a relationship with the other parent despite the fact that there has been domestic violence because they feel that they don't want to make the other parent mad at them. There could be many reasons. And it's for your client and you to come up with that list and for you to advocate in front of the court that we're asking for a finding of domestic violence, but we're not saying, therefore, that the children should not visit with their other parent. Um, yes, the courts do oftentimes dismiss domestic violence. And for your client, the fact that the record has reflected that there has been domestic violence will preserve the issue for any future proceedings because you don't want a situation where you've gone to court 
your client is agreeable with visitation and you haven't said anything to the judge about the presence of domestic violence. So, you know, picture a scenario in custody court where you're not in front of a domestic violence family law department and you're talking about custody orders with your client and your client tells you, I would like the court to know that even though there's domestic violence, I'm willing to have visitation. I believe it's best for the children. Um, make sure you come up with a way to be able to present that on the record and let the court know that you're asking the court to, on the record, note that there has been domestic violence, but that your client believes that it's still in the best interest of the children to have a visitation order in place that allows the children to visit with the other parent. So the crux of the issue may be how do you explain to the court the tension between wanting to acknowledge the domestic violence and its impact and also wanting the child to visit with the abusive party? Madeline Garcia Bigelow, Managing Director, Domestic Violence Project and Associate Director for the Urban Justice Center, explains one way to frame these two competing concerns. In a situation where a client is certainly stating that there has been ongoing domestic violence and yet really wants the kids to visit with the abuser, the opposing party, the general argument that I've, that I've made and have often been successful with is really that kind of friendly parent that the custodial parent, my client, is the victim of the abuse, that he or she feels that the children actually are not in danger with the opposing party so long as the dynamic is taken out of the equation, meaning the the power and control, the domestic violence, and have argued that that really has been asserted directly to the client and not to the children. And that, in fact, where there are very clear boundaries, where there's a very clear visitation order, where parties all around understand what the drop-offs are, what the pickups are, understand what the safety, pretty much building in controls and some sort of self-governance into a visitation order, that things would actually work out. We we want to stay away from having the parties figure it out. We want to explain to the court that the reason that we want the court intervention in this particular circumstance is because the court is able to, with clarity, speak to when, how, how often, and where the visit should take place. This leads us to ask the question, are there any dangers in presenting these two competing concerns? Are there any cautions that attorneys should be aware of before moving forward? Now, we always have to kind of explain to the, to the client that, of course, these are different arguments that we can make, and you can kind of scaffold those arguments if you need to. You may find all these facts in one case and really explaining to the client, ultimately, this is what you want. And these are the different permutations of things that may happen, all the way from it could be that client wants supervised visits, if you have access to supervised visits in your jurisdiction. However, the court is deciding that abuser gets overnights. It, it could go all the way to the client has to drive the children halfway or the client has to commute halfway to this not actually being acknowledged at all by the court um, and that domestic violence is not going to be taken into consideration and there's going to be a very, very liberal policy across the board. So it really is in partnership with your client 
strategizing as to what's best and preparing them for the worst possible outcome in court while making arguments that really support and puts the client in the best possible light to obtain what it is he or she is seeking from the court as relief. That's Madeline again, reminding us of how important it is to counsel your client, no matter what your ultimate strategy with the court might be. Remember, the case is ultimately your client's, and we are here to help guide them through the legal system. If my client is convinced that he or she wants to go forward with unsupervised, then I have a different strategy as far as what kind of record I make to the court. First of all, I make sure that I say to the court frequently at this point. And I think what that does is to sort of let the court know we're, we're taking this one step at a time. And at this point, here's where my client is. Um, it helps the record too if you end up having to go forward on appeal just to really make sure you're kind of covering um, the goals that your client might have. I also usually like to make a record that my client is trying to balance the value of the kids having contact with the perpetrator with the potential risks of how they could be impacted by the domestic violence. I think it's important to make that record because I think, especially in cases where your client is trying to advocate for greater custodial rights, I think it's important that the court be able to see that your client is not just um, a victim or the kids are not just a victim, but is also a parent and is trying to sort of balance that test. And we just heard from Amy Lopez, an attorney in Northern Colorado and professor at the Center for Women's Studies and Gender Research at Colorado State University. She provided us with a great tip on how to protect your clients and any change in position down the road. That's all we have time for today. This is a very complicated topic, but communication with your client might just be the most important takeaway. Let us now go back to Samantha, who had a great tip of her own passed down from other legal services attorneys about client counseling. In the world, there's the law, what the law says, what the law entitles you to, and there's also what's fair and what's just. And those things really should be aligned, but they often are not. And so preparing for all sorts of outcomes and knowing that what you, know, what you think is fair and right, because you know your situation better than anybody. You know your child, you know your partner or ex-partner, and you know what really should be the right outcome here, but that's not always the way the judge sees it, and that's not always the way the law allows things to work out. And that's something that I think is challenging to hear, but probably important to discuss because people who aren't lawyers understandably feel like the outcome should be what is right and what's fair. And they have a very clear picture of that. Mm -hmm. But that's not always, that's often, it seems from my experience, not the way things work out. And now, because we're all lawyers, here's your friendly liability reminder. Nothing in this podcast should be considered legal advice or legal representation. This podcast is national in scope and talks about national trends and best practices. You should always consult your local law. As a reminder, it is our job at the Commission to provide you with support in your civil representation of survivors. Please visit our website at ambar.org cdsv for information about our trainings and to contact us for help or support. Again, that's A-M-B-A-R period O-R-G slash C-D-S-V. This project was supported by grant number 2015 TAAX K026, awarded by the Office on Violence Against Women, U.S. Department of Justice.
The opinions, findings, conclusions, and recommendations expressed in this publication, program, exhibition are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the U.S. Department of Justice, Office of Violence Against Women. Until next time, clear law, full hearts, can't lose.